Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Good morning. We continue to walk through the book of Mark, and we've been in chapter 14 for several weeks, only because this chapter is chock full of information for us. And, you know, my goal here is that no matter where you are with the Lord as we study this, is that I've always enjoyed having teachers and preachers that make the passages come to life. And so uh, I, I pray that as we continue in our scriptures today, that not only do you hear the story, but I pray you feel it and you can put yourself there in the midst of it. Well, what we see this morning is we can find power in purpose while forsake, being forsaken. We all have been forsaken. We all have felt betrayed. And to be quite honest with you, if we were honest with ourselves, we have probably forsaken others before as well and maybe even betrayed them. I hope not, and not knowingly, but but it happens. We, we live in, with that because it's life, and it's never easy to go through betrayal, is it? Although we may feel hurt or angry or alone, we can see our way through it through Jesus. Now, I know as a preacher, me saying that you can get through whatever you're going through with Jesus to many people, that sounds like everything a preacher should say. But it's the truth. It's the truth that whatever you're going through today, whether it be betrayal or whether it be grief or whatever it may be, you can go through it because Jesus is going through that with you. And I hope, if you ever have been betrayed, that you probably know this passage today. But I hope you understand that it's one thing to talk about some, something with somebody that They know you, but they've never been through what you've gone through, right? You know, I talk with some of you about things that I haven't gone through, and I can, I can empathize, what's the word I'm looking for? Empathize with you, but sometimes, um, you just want to talk to somebody that can feel it because they have been where you walked. Folks, my friends, Jesus has walked where you walk. And the thing is that when you feel crushed and alone, look to Jesus for purpose in the midst of that betrayal. Because if you do, if, if, if you do not and you refuse to look at the purpose behind it, the betrayal ends and it becomes your main thought. And Jesus here in this passage this morning was in anguish and pain. However, he kept the purpose for which he came to this earth a priority. And what was that? To do the will of his father. So you and I can do amazing things in the midst of the worst times in our life when we look to Jesus for purpose, strength, and understanding. So walk with me today as we walk with Jesus through today's scripture. We start off with verse 27 of chapter 14. And the, the title for this point is, Jesus knows your betrayal before you do and loves you still. That's kind of what I was trying to share with you while we were singing How He Loves. Even though maybe you have been one that has portrayed or denied Jesus at times. Maybe not in a big, grand way, but still, we all have done that. And the thing is, is that we think to ourselves, there's no way Jesus could love us. But the scriptures tell the opposite. So here we are, verse 27, where Jesus predicts Peter's denial. On the way, Jesus told them, now where are they coming from? If you remember last week, we partook of the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper had just happened. 
And it says on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee to meet you there. So they didn't realize it, but Jesus was giving them some very important instructions. We'll look at it in just a minute. And then here comes Peter, Mr. Uh, Impulsive. Peter said to him, even if anyone else deserts you, I never will. I never will. I never will. My friends in Christ, let me tell you this. Never say never. Never say I will never do something. Because as soon as you draw that line in the sand, that is where Satan attacks. And when we say that I will never do that, there's a sense of pride to that. Oh, I would never Just like Peter's saying, I would never deny you, Jesus. And I think at the moment when he said it, he fully meant it. He wouldn't have just said that. Remember, he was the same disciple that walked out on the water during the midst of the storm and walked out to what some thought was a ghost, but he knew it was Jesus. Yes, he fell in the water when he took his eyes off of Jesus, but he was the only one of those guys in the boat that jumped out and walked. Verse 30, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that even you know me. Wow, that's pretty specific. Waiting for the rooster twice. Verse 31, no, Peter declared emphatically. He was like, are you crazy, Jesus? He says, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. So I think it's important as you read the scriptures, is that when it says at the end, it kind of tags on and the others vowed the same thing. Peter was speaking, but all the disciples agreed with him. He was speaking the same thing that was on the disciples' hearts. They were saying, we are going to go where you go because you are the Messiah. We believe that you will reign. And they're still at this point in Jesus' ministry thinking that Jesus is going to set up an earthly reign to give them power. You see, Peter's emotions and ambitions, they just got the best of him. This is the second time Jesus has revealed that the disciples would deny and desert him. Peter must have run Jesus' words around his mind several times, never comprehending how he could even think about denying Jesus. You see, they had just left. Now, I remember back in the day, sometimes when you have revival services and you you come out of the revival services and you feel like you can take on hell with a water pistol or when back in youth ministry when you'd have the last night of the youth camp and everybody would be, you know, ready to... Marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, just ready to go. Take it on. Here I am, devil. But then all of a sudden, real world sets in, doesn't it? So I am sure they have just went through the foot washing ceremony. They have just been through the Lord's Supper. They heard that one of them is a betrayer. They still didn't fully know who it was yet. But man, they were amped for what was coming. And the thing is, is that they could not imagine denying him. Could you imagine yourself denying Jesus? Many of you, like me, me too, would, would deny, be, we would be like Peter saying, there was no way I would ever deny Jesus. But sometimes we do. 
Maybe we spend a little bit more time doing the things we want to do for our selfish desires rather than the things we ought to do by spending time with the Lord. That is denying Him. Sometimes when we say things we shouldn't say, listen to things we shouldn't listen to, watch things we shouldn't watch, that is denying Him. It doesn't have to be in a grand way. Most often it's a daily way. Well, the thing we see here is Jesus had to suffer. Peter, with his best intentions, could not stop the events that were about to play out, no matter how determined that he was. And it's important to note that Jesus was not foretelling of their betrayal as a way to give them. He was not putting them on a guilt trip. He wasn't saying, you guys think you're so strong, but I'm telling you what, y'all are going to run like turkeys with your tails between your legs. That is not what he was saying. He was preparing them for what was about to happen. Because he loved them. Go back and look at verse 27, where it says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus was quoting Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. So what was Jesus telling him? Jesus was saying, y'all are going to need to get out of here. He's saying, I love you guys. Don't hang around. Get out of here. Also, the other disciples felt the same as Peter. He was just the one that spoke up. And so the disciples' minds and hearts were unable to receive Jesus' words. At the time, they didn't get it. Just three days later, they did not believe the reports of his resurrection. And if you go back and and look again, we see that the angel had to remind the disciples to meet Jesus After his resurrection, if you go and you look at Mark 16, you can see the angel reminding them after Jesus has ascended, look, you need to go to Galilee. But if you don't believe me, Jesus already told them that in verse 28. So when you go back and look at verse 27 and 28, after the cross and after the ascension, it makes perfect sense that Jesus is saying, look, guys, don't hang around. Meet me in Galilee and we'll come up with a game plan to change the world is what that scripture says. So folks, if sometimes you feel like you don't get what Jesus is speaking to you, have faith. He will reach you if you reach out to Him. But never say never. I I spoke about that a minute ago. As many of you know, we will read later that Peter did exactly what Jesus predicted. He denied Him not once, not twice, But three times, the denial of Peter was no surprise to Jesus. And so when you deny Jesus, it's no surprise to him. It still hurts, but he's not trying to put you on a guilt trip. He's trying to bring you back into himself. And so when we say we would never do something and we do it anyway, here's here's the point I wanted you to take from that. Do not let pride fool you into thinking you don't need to depend on Jesus to follow Him. Do not be so cocky as a believer to think that you you have got... Yes, you can wear your spiritual armor. Nothing touches us that God does not allow. But sometimes God allows bad things to come into our lives. Struggles and trials. And we can't say that I would never do something. Because when we do that... We set ourselves up as the authority. Rather, we could say, God, 
I'm going to do the best I can. And when I can't do the best I can, I'm going to depend on you for help. Well, we go to verse 32. Pray like your life depends on it when you feel forsaken. When you feel forsaken, you don't want to pray. You you just want to kind of wallow in it, you know. You want to gather your friends around and talk about how terrible your situation is. But Jesus is showing us a different way. Pray like your life depends on it when you feel forsaken, because quite honestly, it does. And before we jump into the scripture, I just want to show you a couple of pictures. The first one is a map of the journey to Gethsemane. And as I don't know if you can see it from your screen, but in the uh, middle to actually bottom left of the screen, it says traditional upper room. And then if you follow the areas, that's up on the top of the mountain of Jerusalem. You go down into the lower city and you go up the east side where the mountains are. And towards the Mount of Olives, you come to Gethsemane. This is where Jesus and the disciples had gone to pray. And this was a place that they had gone to often. Now, the next picture I want to show you is that thanks to technology and the Internet, this is what Gethsemane looks like today. I am sure back in Jesus' time, it was not like that. It was at night. It was, a, it was dark. You had these huge, ominous trees. And you have Jesus and his disciples praying in that spot. Well, now we can read the scripture. Verse 32 says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here a while while I go to pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. So he didn't, again, he didn't take the full twelve. He took three. He took the closest. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. It's bad when Jesus becomes deeply troubled and distressed, isn't it? He told them, my soul is crushed with the grief to the point of death. Now here is one of the most ominous aha moments in Scripture, this is one of the very few times where Jesus asked them to do something for him. He ministered to people. He healed people. He taught people. He put his life on the line for people. But in this moment, he tells his three best friends, if you would, please stay here. Keep watch with me. Verse 35, he went on a little farther and fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. What does he pray? He prays in verse 36, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. So please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Well, there is a lot to unpack in these verses, and I'll try to uh, pick out a few things. Number one, Gethsemane. Gethsemane, the name of this garden. The name Gethsemane, do you know what it means? It means to be crushed. This was a place where they would take the olives and crush them and make their precious olive oil that they would use in commerce and use for trade and use 
for cooking. And it was a valuable, valuable commodity back then. So here is Jesus praying in a garden named for crushing. And that is exactly what is happening. Jesus' soul is being crushed. Maybe you've felt like that before. Maybe you've had your own Gethsemane to where you just feel the weight of everything on you. And Jesus is feeling this weight. Yes, he was 100% God, but he was 100% human. And so as we see, Jesus asked something of the disciples. He was being crushed there in a spiritual sense, but we also know very real in a couple of, a matter of a day or two, he is going to be crushed physically as well. When he cries out, Abba, Father, in this moment of deep distress, Jesus didn't feel far away from God the Father. He felt so close to the Father that he used the name Abba. What does Abba mean? It is not a cheesy group from the 70s. Well, actually it is. That was Abba. But Abba, in the biblical sense here, means Daddy. Daddy, please. If there is any way. How many of you that are fathers or even mothers could look at your son or daughter and say, Daddy, Mommy, please, if there's any way out of this, please change it. We see the humanness. Jesus needs his heavenly father and he's crying out to him. And then in verse 36, he says, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, we see that the cup is a reference to God's wrath and judgment. And the cup that is filled with God's wrath is meant to go against mankind. So let me let me put it to you this way. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, this cup of wrath, this judgment, because we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And this, this cup was meant for you and me. This, this cup of God's wrath is to be poured out on you. And, and we are all destined to go to hell. We are all sinners and fall short again of the glory of the Lord. And this was going to be poured out on you and me. And there is not enough lambs, not enough goats, not enough bull blood, not enough that could ever stop that until this point. That cup filled with God's wrath that was going to be poured out on you, God takes it back and pours it out on His only Son. Not only the sins of those that were committed, but your sins that you have committed in the past, and those sins you will commit in the future, it is your sin that was in that cup that was poured out and broke the body of Jesus Christ. I love Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says this. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Folks, Jesus drank this full cup of God's wrath so that you and I don't have to. Do not sterilize or sanitize this passage by just thinking, well, he was Jesus. He knew he was going to resurrect anyway. It's no big deal. No, it is a big deal because, again, in his human form, all of this, every nail he felt, every struggle of breath that he took, he felt. It was not easy for him. It crushed him. 
And I think too many times we as believers lose the sight of how horrific that was. He drank every bit of that bitter cup so that no sin would be left uncovered. And here's the thing. The struggle was won in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, everything is possible for you, but please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus is not saying, get me out of here. Jesus is not saying he doesn't want God's plan to take place. What he is saying is he's saying, Daddy, if there is any other way for this to happen, then please make that happen. I I, I don't know what to do here. I am forsaken. I am betrayed. Please, anything. Please. However, if there's not, it's not my will, but your will to be done. There is a this this is huge here, folks. The cross was won in the garden. Think about it. If God would have come up with a different way, if he would have said, okay, son, I'm going to give you a pass, then the whole Old Testament and New Testament and the Messiah and the redemption of God's people and calling us unto him would fall into shambles. It would all fall apart. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is... Forgiveness. Jesus' blood had to be sacrificed. If not, we're not going to be here today. We're not going to have church. We're not going to worship Christ because it was all a sham like everybody thought it was. There was no other way to salvation. If there were another way for Jesus to take that night, the entire plan of God, His redemption of mankind would crumble. Look, this world would love to tell you that there are many ways to God, but the garden proves there's only one. You can believe what you want to believe. You can, you can believe what the thread says on Twitter and Facebook and on your favorite news channel. You, you can hear all the people doubting. You can go into the coffee shops and hear people talking about doctrine. You can hear them talking about Morality apart from God's Word. You can hear all of these things and you can hear that you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and we're all going to be okay. But that is not what the garden says. The garden says, not my will, but your will be done. That's why in John fourteen six, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one can come to the Father except through me. Well, that's just closed-minded, isn't it? I can't believe Jesus would say that. Surely you can, there's many ways to God. No, there's not. We see that in the garden. Well, you're just being closed-minded. I'm not being closed-minded. My mind is open as can be to the truth of Scripture and the truth of what Jesus has said Himself. You can bet on another horse, but I am going to bet on Jesus because we see in the garden that it was the only way. We see that He said in John. It was the only way. So if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Your crushing times of prayer prepare you for future tests and trials. There are times in your life where God will throw you to your knees to pray. In the garden, this place of crushing, the weight of all of our sin crushed 
Jesus' soul, spirit and body, to the point of him hoping for his retreat. That is what Satan wanted to happen. Jesus wanted, He wanted Jesus to say, oh, I'm out of here. Again, the battle for the cross was won at the garden. And it's not the physical suffering that overwhelmed Jesus. It was the understanding that he was being forsaken, not only by his disciples, but his father. Yes, his father, his heavenly father. It was his agonizing prayers and sweating drops of blood. That is a thing. Doctors have confirmed that that someone's immune system and sweat system and gland system, I can't get into all that, but I saw a report, so it must be true, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that you can stress your body to the point to where your the the capillaries or the, the, like the really small blood vessels in your skin can kind of cross with your sweat duct glands and you can sweat drops of blood. This was not easy for our Lord. It says in verse 37, well, let me say this first. What was it that Jesus asked the disciples to do? Peter, James, and John? What did he ask them to do? Stay, keep, keep watch, be alert, and pray. Watch and pray. So what does watch and pray mean? Watch and pray doesn't mean, yep, there he is. Uh, he's, he's trembling. He's, he's, boy, he's having a bad time. Wow. That is not what watch and pray is. Watch and pray meant have my back. Because I am totally laid out before God. I, I am in anguish. I am hurting. You as my three closest friends have my back. And we see in verse 37, then he returned and found the disciples asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? I don't know if you caught that. Let me say that one more time. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? What did he call Peter? He called Peter his old name, Simon. So in a way, Jesus is saying, Peter, the one that I'm going to build my church on, you have reverted back to your old ways. And he says, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I want you to understand this. Jesus didn't come back and correct the disciples because he was mad at them and hurt at them. Jesus came back to correct them to tell them to watch and pray because he knew he knew he could handle what's coming up. But he knew unless they prayed and unless they kept watch. They would not make it. The, the, the watch and pray was not for Jesus' benefit. It was from theirs. So when the Bible tells you as a believer to watch and pray, it's not to feed God's ego. It's to prepare you for what's coming next. Watch and pray. Spiritual battles are won through prayer and preparation before the crisis occurs. Maybe God's calling you to pray because you don't know what's around the corner, but he does. My friends, if God is prompting you to pray, you better pray. 
If you don't know how to do it, talk to me, talk to somebody you trust, and we will make sure that you can start increasing your prayer life. We as a church have got to be stronger in prayer, not just for the health problems, but for the church and for the community and for the lost and for the ability to reach those that cannot reach them on their own. Watch and pray. Spiritual battles are won through prayer and preparation before the crisis occurs. And it says in verse 41, when he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up. Let's be going. (laughs) Chills down my spine. Look. My betrayer is here. I tried to warn you, boys. I tried to tell you that this is going to happen, but now it's time. It's go time, boys. That's what he's saying. And then the third point is that the time of betrayal is at hand. What Jesus has been talking about, the time of betrayal is at hand. It says in verse 43, And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men, armed with swords and clubs. They had not been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders. So, the leading priest had sent this army. And then verse 44, the traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So what can we tell? We can tell two things from this passage already. Number one, Judas and the temple priest and those that were trying to kill Jesus, they had no idea of who he was because he had never shown any kind of rebellion, any kind of fight. He had done nothing but be a suffering servant. And so they're bringing out the the army to come catch him. They did not know who Jesus was or what his purpose was. There was overkill here. And then number two, Jesus looked so much like everybody else that Judas had to give them a tell sign. It wasn't like Jesus was hovering over everybody in a white cloud with with light coming out from it. He looked like you and me. They, They had to identify who Jesus was. Judas had to go and betray him with a kiss. And imagine... I can just imagine Jesus' stomach turning. When he greeted him the way he greeted him. He greeted him by saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, and gave him a kiss. By, By calling Jesus Rabbi, Judas was saying, you're my master, you're my teacher. And then he betrayed him. Verse 46, then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked him, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was here among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. And here we go. What Jesus had been predicting, verse 50. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. It's what they were supposed to do. 
The young man following behind was clothed in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of the shirt and ran away naked. Some Bible scholars identify that as Mark, the apostle Mark. But Jesus loved his disciples even in the midst of being forsaken. We know from John 18, verse 10, that that unnamed person in Mark's gospel was Peter. Now, Peter was a fisherman, and he grabbed the, the, the soldier's sword and pulled it out, and he started swinging that thing around. He didn't know what he was doing. He was swinging that sword around and whoop, lopped Malchus's ear off. And so Jesus, in his love, first of all says, Peter, calm down. Put the sword down before you hurt yourself. But you realize Jesus saved Peter's life twice that day. First of all, through a miracle, he reattached that soldier's ear. Because if he had not, Peter would have been charged with attacking an officer of the law. And he would have been killed. He saved Jesus' life that way. And then he would later save Peter's life through the cross. Maybe you've done some dumb things. I have. If you want to hang around later, I'll tell you a couple of them. If you don't know, Donald will tell you. Some of y'all can say some too. That's fine. We've all done dumb things. But I stand here saved and redeemed because of the work of Jesus Christ. Peter, his impulse was to fight. And he grabbed something he didn't know how to use. So what do you and I take from this? We do not fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. We do not fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. Our community is under attack. Our people is under attack. Our world is under attack from evil forces. And we are not going to find a gun or a missile big enough to take it out. Our problem is spiritual. And we are trying to fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. Now, you can get together with your friends and you can talk about how great the president is doing, how bad the president is doing, what you think about the economy, what you think about the gas prices and all this stuff. But when are you going to start addressing the real problem? Is The problem is we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to pray and we need to start fighting these battles on our knees. All of the disciples deserted Jesus and ran away. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says, The disciples were scattered, and Jesus, the suffering servant, was now alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. That is what John say, I mean, Jesus says. Jesus says, Although the disciples have left me, I am not alone because God, Father, Daddy, you are with me. But unfortunately, as we will see later, even God will have to forsake His only Son. So as we wrap up our time together, we need to find power in the purpose while being forsaken. All of these things that were happening and all of this agony that Jesus went through, the crystal clear purpose was to die on the cross for your sins and mine. You may be listening to this message today and know what betrayal feels like. It may have reminded you of past hurts in your history. And although you feel hurt, angry, and alone, you can see your way through it by looking to Jesus. You can see how He knows what you're going through. Jesus was in anguish and pain, and He kept the purpose for which He came to this earth. 
a priority. What was it? To do the will of the Father. To offer the forgiveness of sins through His blood, His Son's blood, Jesus Christ, that was sweat in the garden and spilled on Calvary. And my friends, if you are a Judas here, don't waste what may be your last time to repent and turn around. If you are a believer, watch and pray. Be alert on these days. You and I need prayer more than ever. Pray for our family, this church, this community. And when you see the struggle that Jesus went through, you can know that it's not going to be easy. But the benefit is also sweet. Let's pray. Thank you.